This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we welcome the fly guy himself, Mike Peppers, to talk about foreign lawn import. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi, and on the phone with me today is Glenn Sizemore. How you doing, Justin? Doing great. Even better now that Andrew's not here. Yeah, we're all we're all strapped in. We're ready for our giant VMworld breakdown show where we talk about everything that happened this week. Right, Justin? That's what we're doing. Actually, we're doing that next week because <laughs> Andrew's at VMworld. Yeah, and we kind of need him. Also, Josh Atwell will be coming to us with that as well. I'm I'm thinking about making Josh Atwell our our official bearded booth babe. Uh, yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, that that yeah. beard checks out. Uh, you know, he's got it's it's a formidable beard. It's, it's a little gingery, but hey, you know, nobody's perfect. So that's next week. Uh, yes. If we're not doing VMworld next week, what are we going to do this week? Well, this week I thought we'd invite our resident foreign lawn import expert, Mike Peppers, to talk about foreign lawn import. So he he agreed at the last minute because we were like, what are we going to do today? <laughs> oh, yeah, let's do that. So Mike Peppers, say hello. Tell us a little bit about what you do here at NetApp. Hey, guys. Um, I'm a tech marketing engineer uh, covering SAM and FlexRay. Here to talk to you a little bit about uh, FLI. Uh, and by the way, you can also follow me on Twitter, NTAPFLI guy. That's right. He's the fly guy. That's why yep. we brought him in. So the reason why I wanted to bring him in is because oftentimes I get asked, what is this foreign lawn import business? And I'm like, you know, we need to have a podcast on that because a lot of people don't know what the goodness is of foreign yeah. lawn import. So, Mike, I want you to start us off by giving us an elevator pitch for foreign line import. Okay, well, in a nutshell, what a, what foreign line import is, is, is it's the ability for a NetApp controller to basically import a LUN that is currently hosted on a third-party array. That could be uh, HDS or EMC or HP, or frankly, for that matter, could be a NetApp 7 motor array. And basically be able to move that efficiently, block-for-block block copy, uh, to NetApp where it's then hosted. At that point, the LUN is on NetApp and is open to all of the goodness that NetApp brings. So when you say block-to-block block copy, are we talking about an actual physical data copy? I mean, or are we talking about taking disks that are already existing and reassigning them, or is that more FlexArray stuff? Uh, well, that's not quite FlexArray either. Um, so with FlexArray, uh, and, and by the way, foreign LUN import actually requires FlexRay. It was built on top of FlexRay. But what FlexRay does, and, and FlexRay uh, was also previously known as V-Series. FlexRay is a licensable uh, V-Series. It basically allows a NetApp controller to act as an initiator in front of somebody else's target. You would then provision LUNs from that target that could be uh, seen and mounted by the NetApp it would treat those LUNs as though they were disks. Uh, they would be formed into rate groups, uh, which in turn would be used to create aggregates. And from there forward, it looks basically like any other aggregate that you would put volumes and you know potentially LUNs and so forth on. That's FlexRay in yep. a nutshell. So keep in mind, what you're not doing is this is with FlexRay is this is copying data. You you have to provide a new LUN which is zeroed. 
to FlexRay. FlexRay is just leveraging your previous investment in uh, storage to allow you to be able to use some of that storage uh, and, and feature it as though it were NetApp. Okay, so you're running ONTAP on top of other competitor disks, essentially. Precisely. Yeah. So what FLI brings uh, is, is, is it uses that ability to act as an initiator. So essentially, to the third-party array, we look like a server. Um, and what it does in this case is, is, is it allows you to see a LUN that exists on that third-party array. And if you can see the LUN, if you can read the blocks on the LUN, you can obviously copy the blocks on the LUN. And that's what FLI does. Is this disruptive there, or you know, is it non-disruptive? Well, so there are a couple of different variants of, uh, of FLI, the first of which is uh, FLI offline. That was uh, created and introduced in ONTAP 8.3. And that did involve a completely uh, disruptive or offline copy. And so for the period of time that it took to copy the LUN from, uh, say, an HDS to, uh, to NetApp would be the amount of time that you were offline. Later, in 8.3.1, we introduced an FLI online version. So that still has a disruption, but it is a very short one. It is the amount of time that it takes for you to actually uh, repoint your host from the third-party array to the NetApp array. And so we're talking about a disruption window of perhaps a couple of minutes. So when we say disruption, Michael, we're specifically talking about a disruption to the, the host that is connected to that storage target. Yes. You do not have access to your data for uh, roughly a couple of minutes. So initially in, in 8.3, we required exclusive access to that block target. So we couldn't tolerate an, an, another host connecting in and you know, using it while we were doing this bulk copy transfer. But as of, was it 8.3.2, we added the ability to do the online uh, import where we could suck in the data while the, 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 the client was still accessing the original block target? No, it's actually 8.3.1. And, and so what happens with 831 is this is you form a LUN relationship. Uh, you create another LUN on NetApp that is going to be identical to the one that you want to copy. And then you create a relationship where you essentially are causing them to be virtually synchronized, even though no data has actually moved yet. Once you've done that, you then move, you, you repoint your host to NetApp. And at that point, you can resume I.O., even though, once again, no data has actually copied. The way this works is, is, is that we do pass-throughs of uh, reads and writes. So a read is going to come in, and it's going to get passed through to the source. The source will uh, basically provide back the blocks that were requested in the read. It's going to go back to ONTAP, and then from ONTAP back to the server. So the, the, the host server does not recognize that there is anything else in the path, and so it just sees that it has one on NetApp. So all of this happens uh, yeah essentially invisibly to the host. Uh, writes, on the other hand, uh, basically are duplex. So what's going to happen is, is the write comes down to uh, ONTAP. ONTAP then duplexes that write. It saves a copy onto the new LUN that you've just created and forwards a copy to the source LUN. That way you're able to stay in sync. Once you have actually uh, pointed the host over and restarted I.O., at that point you can actually start your copy, and the copy can take as long as it needs to take, but your I.O. is running. And so you can do all the reads and writes you like, and you will continue to be in sync at the point that the import completes. You will be not just logically, but also physically in sync between the two LUNs, and it will stay that way until you break the LUN relationship. 
are there customers that just leave that relationship up? Is there a downside to just leaving it up? Uh, that probably would not be a good idea in the long term because at some point you're gonna you potentially could lose access to, for instance, the source array, and that's gonna look strange to FLI. You're gonna end up with some errors there. Typically, once you've actually finished creating the relationship and actually doing the import, you would then uh, cut over. Well, you would have cut over already, but you would have you basically drop the LUN relationship at that point. And if you've done all of the imports that you want from that third-party array, you then are either going to decommission or repurpose it. But the, the LUNs are now going to be hosted on that app. You, you don't really want the LUNs in two places because then you have the opportunity for a sp split-brain type of scenario if you ever go out of sync. You know, which copy do you want to trust? So you could keep it up for as long as you needed to until your maintenance window, though, right? Uh, well, the... There's no disruption for removing the relationship. Okay. You can do that, and it's completely non-disruptive. The okay. only disruption is this is pointing the host, saying that, saying to the host that your LUN is not on HDS. It's now on, on tap, you know, controller A. Once you've done that, that's, that's the end of the disruptions. You want to verify the LUN that has been imported, which you would typically do with LUNs in, you know, while you're doing dry runs prior to actually moving any production. Okay, so it basically your your options with FLI is this is that, that there is an FLI offline workflow and that is supported with any host that supports FLI, which is going to pr pretty much be all of the OSs that you would have support for in ONTAP. So your Windows, Linuxes, and VMwares, and Hyper-Vs, and various Unixes, and so on. Uh, a smaller subset of those have been qualified to work with FLI online. Those would include your Windows 2008 and 12 and soon 16, uh, as well as ESX uh, 5 and 6, um, and RHEL uh, 5 and 6 and 7. Uh, beyond that, you will you would want to do some uh, dry runs. You would want to do those for a couple of reasons. One, to just verify that everything is configured properly, your connectivity is good, your zoning is good, that sort of thing, um, and just you know make yourself comfortable with the fact that you did a block copy and the blocks are in fact identical. That's what the verification does. Is that basically is doing a logical or of all of the of each block one after another and will take roughly the same amount of time that the actual copy did. Yeah, that makes um, sense. But but typically you would do that on your the, the dry runs because that is uh, verification has to be done with the LUN on NetApp being offline. And so it is disruptive. So typically you would not do that with your production uh, uh, imports. The other benefit of doing a dry run is this is that one of the first questions that almost everyone's going to ask is this is okay, I have a LUN of size X, how long is it going to take? And unfortunately, there's not a great answer to that. It's definitely a your mileage will vary sort of uh, question. Uh, the reason is, is there's just too many variables uh, that will impact how what sort of throughput you get, and therefore how long it's going to take. However, to answer that question, if you were to perform several dry runs, which would be strongly recommended anyhow, you could then extrapolate those speeds because that would capture your entire environment. The capabilities of your source and destination array, uh, the, any sort, you know, what sort of fabric do you have? What kind of fan ins and fan outs do you have coming off of the switches? Are there any sort of bottlenecks? How busy is the host itself? And 
you know, if you're doing FLI online and you have continuing I.O. going to the LUN that you're actually migrating, obviously, if that I.O. is very heavy, that's also going to impact uh, how quickly you're able to migrate the data. With that said, let let me give you just a a basic uh, estimate. For planning purposes, you might want to look at, say, 400 gig an hour. We have seen as high as about one and a half terabytes an hour. Uh, Those were in lab conditions. But, you know, what you see will be based on uh, you're you're doing a couple of dry runs and then extrapolating that. So when we say dry run, uh, Michael, are are we talking about, okay, so I've got a SQL server, you know, or or a MySQL database. It doesn't matter what, but but I've got Mm -hmm. some workload and it's got a LUN, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yep. I want to take that LUN off whatever it's on now, and I need to get it into data on tap. So sure. are we saying that you need to dry run that particular block target? Or are we just saying that, hey, import a block target, create one. I don't care what it is, but just do one and, and, and figure out what this looks like to your environment. So you certainly can create one. Uh, if you want to be as realistic as possible, I would recommend, assuming that your source array has capability of doing this, if you can clone a LUN, that would be even better because you're getting closer to what you're actually using. Um, but simply creating one, having some sort of data in it, and then copying that will, will absolutely work as well. Um, my recommendation would be to take a sample of the different types of ones that you do want to move over. So let's say you have uh, SQL and Oracle and, I, mean, does, uh, I don't know, some VMware. Uh, you might want to take one or two LUNs from each and maybe clone those and then dry run those. I mean, so what, what changes there? Are we just being... Are we just being really careful and cautious because we're dealing with interopt and, 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 and different storage vendors communicating with one another? Or are there actual like things that, that are shifting and changing that make those operations different? Uh, you mean between uh, copying a uh, SQL LUN and an Oracle LUN, for instance? Yeah. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, the reason I recommend doing that is, is, is that there's, there's not a specific engineering reason. The reason I, I, I suggest doing that is this is so that your SQL and Oracle DBAs are on board and comfortable that what you copied and what ended up over there on, on tap is, in fact, the same thing. So it's really more of a confidence builder. If you're comfortable with, with what it is, having looked at the, the documentation for it and you could just create a couple of dummy LUNs and copy those, and that would be fine too. But that's basically all about confidence building. So can we talk a little bit about the, uh, the actual import process? Uh, I'm curious. So, so we said for a little while the, the rights are going to be duplexed. So let's, mm-hmm. let's pretend that, that we're dealing with uh, an ONTAP 9 system. You know, and, and, and we'll go all the way to the extreme example. So, you know, it's, a, it's an AFF. We've gone through the PVR process uh, and, and, and we're sucking that LUN in and I've got all my storage efficiency turned on. Mm-hmm. So how exactly are, are all those various different queues and processes being read? I, we've got the, the, the direct writes, which are just going, you know, journaled in NVLog and then they're, they're going through our normal CP process. But in the background, we've also got like this, this just generic slurp where we're sucking that, that data in. Is that also going through the CP process where our efficiencies can run? Um, it is not going through the the, the right process. It, it's going to look a little bit more uh, the way, say, a snap mirror would look. 
And so you basically have other inbound blocks that are coming in, but are not going to be going through your standard, you know, hit NVRAM, hit RAM, and then take a CP uh, in a perfect world every 10 seconds or some variation on that a little bit faster, perhaps if NVRAM starts filling or whatever the case may be. Okay. So, so it is, it is whatever the data, whatever we were able to get in the source array is what we're going to end up with when we, when we finish sucking that in. That is correct. Um, a couple of other things that are useful to point out. Uh, one of the workflows that you might use would be to import data from an uh, uh, ONTAP 7 mode system to uh, uh, cluster data on tap. And if you were doing that, two reasons why you might consider FLI. And by the way, what you should be looking at first is probably 7MTT. It is, it is the primary tool to use for that, for those types of migrations. FLI does one, a couple of things specifically that makes it a contender in certain circumstances. It will, uh, number one, do the 32-bit to 64-bit conversion on the fly, just as part of the import. Uh, the other thing that it'll do is, is it'll fix any uh, misaligned I.O. misalignments. And so if either or both of those are a consideration coming from 7 mode, then you might consider FLI for that reason. But otherwise, it is primarily a tool for moving data from foreign LUNs or from foreign arrays, I should say. So you actually did mention, and it's worth pointing out, that right now, uh, if you have an AFF or an all-flash FAS, that FLI is not supported natively. You have to actually have a PBR filed in order to get support. That is basically a gatekeeper. Um, those PBRs are... I've not seen one that has not been approved. However, there's a process that needs to go through because, as I said, FLI is built on FlexArray. And yeah. one thing that you cannot do with, with AFF is, is, is have FlexArray be able to work because then we don't have any way to make sure that the third-party array that you're using uh, is not spinning disk. And if it were, then you violated the, the whole definition of what a all-flash array is. And so that's the purpose behind that. There is going to be a fix for that coming up in the next release of ONTAP that will just be native. But until then, you can file a PBR. It doesn't take very long uh, for the approval, and the approval is almost automatic. Well, isn't there some stuff like uh, in the AFF personality that are optimizations that wouldn't really work that well with the spinning drives, too? I mean, there's a technical reason for it, too, right? There are technical reasons. Uh, we did make some right uh, uh, optimizations, which would be a problem with the spinning drives. But I think that the biggest thing, as I understand it, the biggest reason is is very simply that you yeah. would have violated the, the, the rules of what an AFA is. And by doing that, and, and those rules essentially were created by uh, the some of the evaluation yep. groups like IDC and Gartner and so on. Yeah, that's that 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 checks out. Now now I'm curious if if I, if we had a customer that that came to us and said, you know, I've got this giant DMX4 that somehow is still working, don't ask me how. Um, and and I want to import the data off of it into this this new hotness, you know, AFF 8060. Um mm -hmm. In that scenario where we're dealing with, go, you know, we're, it, it is a one-time migration type use case, but the source is not flash. You know, is that something that we can accommodate 
through the PVR process with, with FLI and AFF, or would we need to use some sort of transition hybrid system to do that? No, you absolutely can do that. So, so basically what the PVR is going to do is, is, is it is going to turn on uh, some FLI commands. You simply would not, when, when you try and do a LUN import, uh, you're going to get an error message saying, what is, what is this import? Uh, keyword doesn't make any sense until you have actually gotten the PVR, which is going to give you a uh, dyad command uh, that you need to run in essentially in order to unlock the ability to use FLI. Uh, what we're doing is this is making sure that you can't actually uh, provision LUNs and be able to build aggregates. You know, essentially use FlexArray. Uh, in a more permanent type of scenario. And so gotcha. that's what it is, is it's just gatekeeping. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so um, did we want to cover anything besides foreign LUN import? I mean, did you want to talk about anything new in ONTAP 9 with uh, SAM features? Um, I think I've covered a good bit of that. But so uh, with SAM features, one of the, the more exciting ones that's coming up is, is, is the application provisioning, which you get from a uh, system manager. Um, that's particularly nice in that system manager, if you have an AFF, uh, you can go to a tab called application provisioning. And then assuming that you have a SAN protocol licensed, uh, you would be able to, you know, essentially provision a Oracle or a SQL or a VMware or VDI uh, storage environment, essentially by answering about 10 questions. Um, that will save a considerable amount of time as opposed to having to sort of manually go through uh, the, the various workflows. And the beauty of it is, is is that those workflows will create an environment that is best practice both from NetApp as well as Oracle or Microsoft, you know, the, the third party, you know, the, the application provider. And those best practices are, are an integral part of the fast failover for SAN, right? The, the new enhanced failover times? Uh, not, they would not violate that, but one is not necessarily constituent of the other. So the fast failover times are part of the AFBP program, uh, which is the All Flash Business Processing Program, which is basically a curated set, set of configurations or, or SAN prescribed configurations that you can use to set up a, a SAN environment in ONTAP. And by doing that, we... Well, we tell you that you're going to get a SLO that means that you're going to have a failover of less than 10 seconds for planned and less than 15 seconds for unplanned as measured from the partner controller. Now, those are the outside. We're typically seeing failovers uh, unplanned happening uh, in about seven seconds or so, and that actually is looking at it from the host IO resume. So you're actually having the failover from the storage controller partner's perspective happening a little bit faster than that. So maybe in the five-second range, that's about what we've been seeing uh, specifically using RHEL 7 and, uh, and 8080s. Okay, so what's the ABPP thing? You mentioned that acronym. I don't think everyone a- knows what that is. AFBP. Oh, AFBP. All, yes, all flash business processing. Okay, so, so is that the, the – go ahead and explain that. So what all flash business processing is 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 it is a collection of 
uh, prescribed sand configurations that we have come up with by doing a considerable amount of performance testing over and performance and workload testing over the last couple of years. So we've tested various settings to figure out, okay, what is going to give you the best uh, speed, but not just speed, we also want absolutely consistent performance. So if you go into a degraded state, let's say there is a takeover, so you now have one controller that is essentially doing the work of two, um, how does that affect your latency? What we're looking for is this is for it to have as minimal an impact as possible on your latency. In other words, your latency stays quite consistent. If you could picture what a, uh, like a, a sine wave might look like, uh, on a graph, if you were able to cut just the, the, the very middle section of that, that would be what AFVP is trying to do. So instead of you're having uh, an oscillation back and forth between, say, negative 2 and 2, uh, AFVP would go from uh, 0.5 to minus 0.5 or something like that. So your wave is basically going to be very much smaller there's going to be very much less variability in uh, your latency between uh, steady state and a degraded state. And this is going to be very important if you're running tier one types of applications, tier one, tier one and a half, those sorts of things. So mission critical is, is what we previously called that. The problem with mission critical is, is that is specifically talking about tier one. This program is looking at tier one through three or four in terms of the types of uh, workloads that would be appropriate for it. The fact that those workloads are, are changing themselves. The, the whole concept of tiers is, is actually, it's getting more and more silly as the days go on, but yet uh, there's, there's oh, a good portion of our customers that still depend upon it. So, yeah, it, it typically until, well, until Flash, really, uh, if you wanted to service a tier one workload, and it, typically, you were looking at a frame-style array to do that. Uh, with Flash, the, the speed of the media has it, it's just a geometrically you know, improved to the point that you're able to mask the fact that you don't actually have a frame array and still are able to do uh, you know, recoveries from takeovers and things like that fast enough that you're able to be able to meet Tier 1 requirements. And so it's becoming uh, less meaningful or perhaps a less uh, descriptive term than it used to be just because it, I, more people can meet it. Well, yeah, I think, I, think it's, I, I think it's something that we're sensitive to because it's a battle that we fought. And there was a time where people would st put us in a corner and say, no, that's not you. you you're, not, you're not welcome here. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I think that more modern customers don't really think about their architecture in those terms. Nor, nor, nor do they, they, they really care about that stuff. But, but I get it. All right, Mike, so what else are we dealing with here with ONTAP 9? I know you're working on some other things. Is, is Headroom one of those things? Um, it is. Uh, so Headroom or performance capacity uh, is something that you will start seeing more and more of with ONTAP 9. It's not something that is specific to SAN. Uh, just uh, we, we happen to be covering it uh, I'm not sure what other groups are. Uh, I know that on-command uh, performance manager uh, sessions that have uh, that talk about seven will will also cover it because that's where you're going to be seeing it, and that's a tool that you would typically use to figure out what sort of performance capacity you have. 
So initially during development, we called this headroom. Uh, we've been told that we are now supposed to start calling it performance capacity. But essentially what, what performance capacity or headroom is, 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 is it is a measure of how much uh, IOPS, uh, a particular controller, would be able to provide under a specific latency target. And so let's say, for instance, that you wanted, you had a latency target of sub one uh, millisecond. If that were the case, then you can, you know, basically get 100% of your performance capacity would be whatever number of IOPS. So 200,000 IOPS is this where you are. That's the maximum you can possibly push and stay under uh, one, one millisecond. Um, and so what performance manager does is this is that actually it graphs this for you and also graphs it also has a failover planner so it graphs the performance capacity of the two uh, nodes that make up an HA pair and then it superimposes those in a failover planning uh, graph to show you uh, you know where your performance capacity is there and it, all of that is superimposed on a green yellow and red uh, background. So anything that is inside the green is inside the safe zone. You have additional performance capacity. The, the green the green zone is essentially bounded by your optimal point, which is the maximum amount of performance that you can get within your latency target. The yellow is as you've exceeded that, and the red is as you've exceeded that by even more. Um, so for instance, let's say you have two controllers that are both running at uh, 40% uh, performance capacity. If you looked at the failover planner, it would show that if whichever the worst case of the two controllers taking over for one another, uh, that your performance capacity might, you, you might be at 87% or something like that, which means that you're still within your latency target. So that's fine. Now, let's say, on the other hand, you had two controllers that are running at roughly 70% apiece. If you did a takeover one way or the other, you most likely are going to breach uh, your performance, your, your latency requirements in failover, and that's going to be shown in that graph. And so you would basically use that graph to determine, uh, I have an additional workload that I want to put somewhere. Can I put it here without impacting uh, my, my latency in the event that I have a degraded state come up. And so that's what headroom or performance capacity is about, is, is ultimately it's all about workload placement. Typically, when you first buy an array, your SE is going to work with you and help you uh, figure out workload placement. Uh, after that, any additional workloads, you might use uh, OPM, uh, which, by the way, is on-command performance manager, if I didn't say that earlier. Uh, to figure out what performance capacity you have and therefore whether or not a given workload could be added to an existing controller or whether you need to move workloads around in order to stay within your uh, latency uh, target. That, if your workload changes over time, uh, that also is going to obviously impact your uh, performance capacity. And so that would be another way to visualize and determine, do you need to move things around using NDO? Non-disruptive operations, by the way. You mentioned your, you had a session, right? You mentioned the inside session, or mm -hmm. are you covering? Uh, are you going to be covering talking about headroom or FLI or any of this stuff at Insight, Michael? I will be talking about at Insight. I've got two sessions. Uh, the first of which is essentially a SAN best practices session uh, that's going to cover 
new features and how best to use those. And then I'm going to have a, a bit on SLM because that still brings up questions. Uh, the other session is a sand portfolio session that I'm going to be doing with uh, Alexander Sammer and Gabe Chapman. Uh, so we're basically going to look at here's ONTAP, here's E-Series, and here's uh, SolidFire. And here are workloads where you might want to consider looking at this one first versus that one. So essentially, based on our portfolio, which one would you pick for specific types of missions? Cool. Do you have session numbers for those? Um, I do. Let's see. The SAN best practices is 54288. And the SAN portfolio is 90377. All right. Excellent. So if you want to catch Mike Peppers talking about SAN stuff at Insight, be sure to hit up those sessions. And also, if you want to follow him on Twitter, what is it again? NTAP FLI guy. N-T-A-P-F-L-I-G-U-Y. All right. Um, also, for whatever, there are there is another SAN session that is going to be talking about migrating your data, which so that will talk about FLI in some some detail. Uh, that is going to be done by uh, Niraj uh, Kupam. Do you have the SAN, You have the session number for that one? I do not, off the top of my head. Fired. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike Peppers. Thanks for joining us again today. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, leave us an email or send us an email to podcast.netapp.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team and Mike Peppers, thanks for listening. All right, insight. Yeah, let's get it. Going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Glenn. Yeah. You're going to be in Berlin, so we'll be able to catch you at Insight there. But me and Peppers, we'll be representing RTP out in Insight for the Oh, uh, man. I, I think I'm the Is only one who's not making the Vegas trip. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's okay, though. Um, we'll be definitely looking forward to seeing you in Berlin. Oh, yeah. We'll have, we'll have to make you do a podcast from RTP. Okay, okay. Insight. RTP connection. We can do that. I got nothing else. All right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>